Uh, yeah, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a long one, guys. Strap in. Hell yeah, four hours on Sam Harris. <laughs> four hours on Sam Harris and Dickie D. Just we're we're gonna walk out of this feeling great, everyone. It's gonna be stoked. And welcome to the Monday Morning Commute Zoo Crew! It's that three hours of the day where you feel real sad about going to work. Boo! But that's why we're here to psych you up with real prank calls, confrontations, and wait, wait, that's not what this is? This is the right can't read? A podcast about how the right wing co-ops various social movements and slithers its way into the black matter of our brains? Well, that's not great for the zoo crew. Oh, I'm sorry. My producer is holding a gun to my head. Uh, I'm Aaron Simon. And while I rewrite the script, uh, the two of you should. As your producer, if you ever bring a soundboard to this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, that was going to be my. Oh, next I was just step. thinking that's exactly what we were missing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought about doing that, just like wow, it's going to be too much. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Rachel, you you are our soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I found my place. <laughs> yeah, so introduce yourselves. Uh, Rachel, my pronouns are <laughs> she/her. <laughs> and let's go Michigan State. That's all I have to say today. Oh God. Uh, you're you're saying that about the academic. About the football. Oh. Not chemistry not department. Like... <laughs> yeah, the chemistry department. <laughs> we love our beakers. <laughs> My name's uh Robert, and I hope that the NCAA all falls into the sea. None of the players, but all of the people who are in any way in charge. I hope they all fall into the sea. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very corrupt organization. My poor roommate was like, I'm going to watch college football. And he just like <laughs> triggered one of those loops that exists in my brain. Or <laughs> I can go down an entire, I can make someone listen to something they don't want to hear about for like a solid yep. 45 minutes. <laughs> it's a good skill to have, right? Yeah. People love it. That's what our entire podcast is. Yep. <laughs> Um, oh yeah! Before I get started, I wanted to issue a correction. Uh, in one of, in the Punisher episode, uh, I referenced people who do not uh, like our redacted bit, and uh, I was criticized by a friend because I, I said that this was a shout out to him, and he did not think that was a proper shout out. So, uh, Chris Flynn, if you're listening to this, you are a humorless man who takes no joy in anything. Fuck you, Chris. Fuck you, Chris. All right. So I was re-listening to that episode, <laughs> you know, and there's a bit in there. It's a very, very clever bit. It's possibly the best bit we've ever done. Many people are saying that. Uh, and the bit is about me saying that uh, Aaron circa 2007 or whenever wrote a paragraph as a guest spot. Well, that set off a horrible chain reaction in my mind as I thought back to being in high school and all of the stupid, stupid things that I thought when I was in high school. 
but not only that, but also the stupid, horrible people that I thought were very clever and worth emulating. Have you two ever had that that thing? Did you do that? And did you think that there were some really uh, clever people, and then you look back and you're like, oh, they were. Well, I, I was just as bad as they were. Did, did you ever oh, think probably? That? Yeah. 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 It's going to be all the people you're talking about today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so amidst the onslaught of traumatic memories, I remembered reading a piece by Douglas Adams, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy guy. Uh, and it was titled, Is There an Artificial God? Uh, now, I don't remember much about that essay because I've given away the book. Uh, I do have a new copy of it, but I haven't read it in a long time. But I do remember that it introduced me to Richard Dickie D. Dawkins. And after I read that, I, I ran out, not ran, drove to Barnes and Noble on West End Avenue in Nashville because uh, Smyrna did not have a bookstore. I, I picked up The Blind Watchmaker. It's a book by Dickie D. And I read through most of it in Centennial Park. And I remember that in vivid detail because it was at that moment that I realized, yeah, I don't believe in God. And it didn't really <laughs> rock my world one way or the other. I looked at the docs, ducks and pond, and then I kept reading. So was becoming was going from Jewish to atheist in rural Tennessee a lateral move, or was it like worse to be one than the other? <laughs> you mean from like an exterior perspective? I don't. I maybe like other people would think atheist was worse. I don't know. I think atheist. Yeah, that would probably be seen worse. I don't remember having that specific conversation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get into it a little more later on, but like there's there's a there's a fair amount of basis in like Jewish atheists. Yes, no, certainly. So that that's not a huge that was not a huge deal to me and like I, I never had that conversation with my rabbi, but he was always like a you know a, a, you do you do good things, and that's what it, what's important, guy. There's a just so we can get into film as soon as possible. There's a bit in the TV show Dairy Girls that I was watching last night. The, the one of the Catholic Irish kids was like, "How many Catholics do you have on your police force?" To a cop, and he was like, "Well, most of our police force is Protestant. We have three Catholics if you count that one Jewish fella." yeah yeah that's <laughs> it's a big overlap mm -hmm. i always got along well with the catholics <laughs> i don't know if that's if that would be the case today though there seems to no. be a, a troubling shift in catholicism toward yeah. horrible things um that might be something to interesting it's like is that a reaction to uh the the current pope is that just people getting i don't know well that might be worth exploring at some other point. Anyway, uh, so, you know, we're going to be talking about atheism today. And I have a question for the two of you. Uh, are you true rational thinkers, TMCR, who know that there is no God? Or are you absolute knuckle draggers who believe in a magic sky fairy? Have you knowledge of our Lord and Savior, the flying spaghetti monster? How many Jesus is a zombie jokes have you made in your lives? Confess your sins. <laughs> oh, I quite literally went to seminary. <laughs> Rachel, yeah. thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that God exists. I think it's just all kind of energy happening in the world but mm. no no god no. not for me yeah, sorry, i went to yeah. seminary until i realized i was like more of a neo-paganist than a christian 
And my how God you, was very close to me. How Vegas. did you even get to being in the seminary? Like, what was your your desire? Like, what what do you want to get out of that? Well, I like Jesus as a concept. He's like a cool guy. Yeah. And I like the Old sure. Testament, the Tanakh, if you're of other persuasions. There you go. Thank um, you. <laughs> it's also a cool book if you edit out a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the the many calls to genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like the Bible a lot. Like it slaps. It's well written. It's fun to read. It's a really good book. <laughs> there's there's good there are there's good ethics to be found. Yeah. yeah. And also like it's just the craziest fucking thing I've ever read in my whole life. Yeah. My favorite thing is always probably always going to be um I, I think it's Elisha. The, the bald prophet who is walking through the outskirts of a town and a bunch of kids go up to him and call him Baldy. So he sicks a bear on them. That shit's dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's My good shit. thing is the thing in the story of Jonah where they don't talk about a lot where God comes to Jonah and is like, you got to talk to this town. And Jonah's like, God's like, really, motherfucker? Yeah. Jonah's like, nah. Then God just consecutively ruins Jonah's life <laughs> until he's just like, Fine, I will go. This is this is yet another segue. I think I was telling you this over over signal earlier, but I was talking to my dad, and uh, his synagogue does this this thing, this like symposium on Yom Kippur, where they invite members of the congregation to come up and talk about what Judaism means to them, and it's the most depressing thing you've ever heard in your life. It's just people going up there talking about all of the diseases they've had in their lives. All of the times their family has wronged them. And then it's like, yeah, but I, at least I have my my religion and my faith. And we're talking about this. And he goes, every year, I think that I'm just going to, I'm going to weep the entire time. And everyone thinks this is going to be so terrible, but we all look forward to it because we're a religion of masochists. So it's like, there, there's an element of, uh, you know, Jonah, Job. Just, yes, ruin me, God, ruin me. Give it to me, Sky Daddy. (laughs) So, since people have thought about what's going on, metaphysically speaking, in the universe, we've also debated about whether or not God exists. It is, broadly speaking, safe to say that most cultures in the history of humanity have developed an explanation of the universe that has a supernatural element. Sometimes this takes the faith, the form of pantheons like Olympian, Hindu, Norse, yada, yada, yada. Sometimes it takes the form of spiritual interactions or with the world or other planes. And sometimes it's a monotheistic creator God. But the important point is that humanity has used religion to explain the world, right? Uh, we see the turning of the seasons, natural disasters, invasions by other peoples. And all of these things need to be explanations of how these things came to be. We turn to stories, and because that's what we do. Uh, out of these stories, we got religion. Uh, with this, the stories became codified, or other pe- uh, there were other people who pushed back on these codas, these dogmas, even as they were being developed. Uh, you know, this is just kind of where we are as a species. And for the sake of keeping this podcast friendly and not just a, a a huge screed about the formation of religions as I conceive it, which we're already getting close to, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm I'm only gonna really, really only gonna try to touch on a couple of things prior to the industrial era 
Not and it's important to do that at all. It, it's important to do this because of what we're going to be talking about later. Uh, the first of these things, uh, it, it when I first you can see I first Aaron tried to self edit away that I'm not going to like cram eighty hours of history into the opening of this. Yeah, well, it, the, the first draft of the script involved me trying to be really uh, capital C conceptual. And turn it into a VH1 behind the music script about the formation of atheism and yada, yada, yada. So I started writing it and I was like sitting there and it got like really self just crazy. And I thought this is this is an insane person's manifesto. So all of that's gone. But what I was trying to do was talk about Diogenes of Sinope. The coolest person ever. He is. And. Shark, how about you tell us about Diogenes? Because both Rachel and I are smooth-brained, non-classics majors. Exactly. <laughs> Diogenes was fucking awesome. He lived in a pot. He was mean to everybody. My two life goals. Um, <laughs> when Alexander the Great, this is probably apocryphal, but when Alexander the Great saw him, he came up and he said, you're one of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world what are you doing? He was crouched down in the dirt playing with bones. And Alexander's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Diogenes looked up at him and said, I'm trying to tell the difference between the bones of your father and the bones of a slave. <laughs> wow. Which are bars. Like that is one of the hardest lines I've ever heard. <laughs> he also allegedly just like jerked yeah, off Yeah, they don't in like public insults and... like that anymore. No, they really no, don't. No, they don't. Yeah. His, his whole thing was like, a thing that would get picked up like literally thousands of years later, which is like morality seems made out, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's like kind of the founder of cynicism. Yeah. Uh, the other Alexander story I, I know about him is like, I think it's the same interaction just told. Him. He's hanging out in his pot. Alexander comes up and Diogenes looks up and says something like, get out of my light. You're blocking the sun. And Alexander says, do you know who I am? Diogenes says no. Alexander says I'm Alexander the Great. Diogenes says, "Well, should I be scared of you?" Alexander says, "No." Diogenes says, "Well, then get out of the sun." He also did a lot of things like just harass Plato. Yep. Uh, he it's would cool. uh, he would attack the notions of priests and like tributes to the gods and everything. And there, there's enough. There are a lot of these little stories of him that point to him kind of giving it at the very very least a skeptical view of the idea of of gods yeah man was so far ahead of his time that he flat out said that like virtue in the greek sense morality in the modern sense is something that can only exist in the practical not in the abstract which is like a very non-religious yeah super he would have gotten along great in like France in the 30s. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, a cool dude. Yeah. Cool Who guy. I, a cool guy. And, you know, there are probably others in, in Greek philosophy who follow along this this path that I just don't even, even think about or know enough about to really make a call one. Um, but, uh, you know, alongside Diogenes, uh <clears throat> Um, like you have in Judaism, this weird thing. It's not. It's it comes later, but what you what you notice in the Torah is like you you have these punishments toward apostates, but not specifically atheists. So I'm like, 
in classical thought, it's it's you can easily make an argument about skepticism. Atheism gets a little sketchier unless you're pointing to specific people like Diogenes. But uh, there is this kind of tradition of questioning the the established religious views of the societies that are there and like major players. Right. Um, But what happens further east is it's a lot more uh, clear in India, for example. Uh, there is a clear method of establishing whether or not atheism can be seen as being accepted as a part of sutras and Hinduism, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this thing that I ran across is called, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but it's the Purva Mimamsa Sutra, which gives a clear and established guide to Hindu practitioners uh, to, as folks in Redacted love to say, be spiritual, but not religious. Uh, I put in some links. God, to this. I'm glad that someone has had to roll their eyes at that for like <laughs> six thousand years. <laughs> so, like, it, it gives these uh, these arguments about uh, living a, a an ethical life outside of the confines of what is, um, you know, defined by the gods. Very human centric. Uh, and in the show notes, there are going to be some links to sites that give good write-ups to that, better than I can I, I can ever summarize. Um, but you should do some broader reading on Hind- in Hinduism before you jump into that, because otherwise you're going to be drowning in a bunch of terms that you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, uh, just pick up the Bhagavad Gita. It's a really short read. You'll get through yeah. it in the afternoon. It'll be great. Yeah, and that's a good <laughs> intro to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's... I can't remember who it was. I think it was one of the Bela Fleck albums with the Fleck tones, but they do like a big excerpt from the Bhagavad Gita in there. So you could just listen to that song. Um, (laughs) So, you know, don't drown in that. Otherwise, you're going to be like calling to the skies and damning my name for all eternity for throwing you down this rabbit hole. That's the last thing I need. Okay. Uh, In China... Broadly speaking, you can kind of point to Taoism as something approaching an atheistic religion, religion-ish. Uh, again, all of this is very broadly speaking, and I'm sure there are a bunch of philosophy and religion nerds out there who are going to be foaming at the mouth, scrambling to find my incredibly secret tri- Twitter handle to obliterate me in my DMs. Guys, there's only so much time, and we gotta yell about Sam Harris and Dickie D. The important thing when talking about any religion is that um, everyone who ever started one is a messy bitch who fought yeah. internally. Yeah. And uh, lots of fun. But uh, yeah, you know, Taoism's pretty all right. The I Ching is fun. Uh, Great the- pseudo-translation <laughs> by Le Guin. Strongly recommend. Really? Yeah. They she know doesn't that. know classical Chinese, so she's just like talking to experts and piecing things together. But oh, cool. it's very Le Guin. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a uh, like a Chinese garden here in Redacted, and uh, you know I took a took this girl I was dating there out uh, out there once, and, and we we did like the I Ching thing. You you pull the pull the little uh, stick that's got a number, and you pull out the number, and the, I did that, and the the little note I got was like you should make a change in your life, and I was like <laughs> yeah. <sure." laughs> It was one of my more George Costanza moments. That is peak George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, we we broke up shortly after that. <laughs> but, yeah. Rachel, you were going to say something. Uh, is, are you talking about the Japanese garden? No, there's a Chinese garden too. 
It's in. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, it's in the Chinatown area. Uh, okay, All right. Yeah. It's it's pretty nice. Ah, uh, the Very. Chinatown area. <laughs> Just how many re- times I have run through you? <laughs> the, the sound of jackboots near me. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> Uh, so elsewhere and in other points of time, you can find uh, people like Buddhist priests arguing against there being a creator God. Uh, not to be confused with Judas priest. Not to be confused with Judas priest who fucking rule. Uh, Although there are some schools of Buddhism that have a weird amount of overlap with thoughts of Judas priest. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's because Judas priest is everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Is in us all. <laughs> uh, the, the one I'm thinking about particularly was a guy named Vasu Bandhu who set forth a very complex series of arguments about the nature of cause and effect and what we mean when we talk about God and there being reason. Very, very Buddhist, you know, uh, and how all of that relates to the understanding of God in in the culture. Uh, Again, very in-depth. You should go read it. I threw some links in the show notes about this. Um, You're going to want to do some preliminary work on broad scale actual Buddhism, not crystal Buddhism. But the point I want to make with Vasubandhu in particular is that in considering atheism and its relationship to religion, we have to, we should take the uh, non-Abrahamic religions into account. As we'll see, the contemporary trends in atheism are solely tied to arguing against religion as if it falls into two buckets. One, fundamentalist Christianity, and two, jihadist Islam. For a disturbing array of contemporary atheists, no other religions exist. And more often than not, you will not make any headway in arguing that if in fact, uh, sorry, in arguing that in fact, you can have a religion that allows for atheism. Indeed, you can easily make the case that Buddhism allows for atheism, even without a reasoned philosophical discourse vis-a-vis Vazabandu. Uh, a lot of Buddhism does not do that. A lot of Buddhism has a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, wild, like, laser eyes coming out of the Buddha. Uh, but even the gods are, like, still a part of samsara, so they're, like, kind of more... It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole Complicated thing. thing. Yeah, I mean... Um, but it doesn't matter, because there's only jihadist Islam and Christo-fascism. Exactly. But, you know, going back to Buddhism, uh, you know, if you take Zen as a form of, of Buddhism which in certain circles may be a controversial statement itself, then the question of, is there a God? Then the question of, is there a God may be enough to have the abbot of a monastery beat you upside the head with a stick. Uh, and, you know, as we, as Shark and I are kind of getting at, uh, a good chunk of Buddhism does indeed hinge on the many, many hells and vast arrays of godlike bodhisattvas. Many other schools of Buddhist teaching lead you in another direction, one with uh, you know, Siddhartha Gautama being a teacher with ideas worth pursuing, but not a god per se. That if you then want to le- look at the craziest fucking thing in the whole world. Check out the White Baron of Russia, the last Khan of Mongolia, and devout Buddhist. It's the craziest story you've ever heard. Ooh, <laughs> ah. yeah. <laughs> there, there was a, a Crusader Kings three <laughs> post someone made about. Uh, so, like every every game, I think uh, once you hit when Genghis Khan and the Mongols swept into Europe. Uh, I think that's supposed to happen every game. In this one game, uh, Genghis Khan became a Buddhist and had a had to be a pacifist, so it just never really got past a certain point. So that's you just awesome. had this massive pacifist Mongol army just sitting quietly, hanging out. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so all of this kind of leads you to question if the universe is itself God. Uh, and you know who else asked that question? Baruch Spinoza in the 17th century. Oh, God. Of course. <laughs> well, he didn't really, really ask that question. He asked a lot of other questions that kind of lead you into that direction. A lot of it is very confusing stuff that I don't fully grasp. But what it did ha do is it led to his excommunication from his shul in Amsterdam which is still in effect. And there was a guy who was trying to study Spinoza by like going to the synagogue and like looking through their archives. And he was uh, rejected by the rabbi <laughs> because oh, Spinoza yes. is still an apostate. Hell yes. Thank God. <laughs> Speaking of people who remind me of George Costanza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Monads, uh, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Monads. Um, <laughs> so his, his things kind of led to him being branded as an atheist at a time when doing so would pretty be, be pretty damn dangerous. Uh, Kenneth Novus is a guy who wrote an article in philosophy now titled was Spinoza actually an atheist. This is a little quote from that, but in Spinoza's God or nature, nature plays a determining role. Why then was it necessary to introduce the name of God at all? Perhaps it was just to speak his message in words which would be listened to by his contemporaries. This message was only that ever that uh, there is no happiness other than the tranquility of a life here below, content with its own lot. For Spinoza, speaking the language of, of theism was overall the only available route towards obtaining an audience. And what the most vigilant among this audience heard piercing as they did through Spinoza's merely nominal references to God, was the deepest of all atheism. It was an atheism which sought to argue not only for the non-existence of a personal God, but for the fault of statesmen in having made a world where belief in God was necessary for human happiness. Which I think is a pretty good takeaway. Yeah. Whether or not you think that Spinoza's is The was this guy an atheist philosophy complex is one of my favorite readings. <laughs> Rachel, were you saying something? Uh, no, no. Okay. Just listening, nodding, agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> no notes. <laughs> so now in our very quick overview of religion and atheism up to the 17th century, we've touched on the very real possibility that as long as there's been religion, there's been atheism. And now, again, in the 17th century is when things in Europe start getting interesting. Following the Renaissance, Reformation, and the very slow loosening of social mores, you start seeing the loosening of the Catholic Church's grasp on society. Despite that, well, most of society, uh, despite that, atheism is still very much a thing you do not want to be accused of. See above with our friend Baruch Spinoza, which is also the names of my two dinosaurs in Stardew Valley. <laughs> Shark, open it up to you now. If you had to choose your top five atheist thinkers of the 18th to 20th century, who would they be? They're all French. <laughs> Okay. Uh, they're all Camus, in fact. <laughs> There's one good philosopher, and it's him. That's my official <laughs> thoughts on philosophy after having a degree in it. Okay. But he's the only one. I I also like Simone de Beauvoir, but she did a lot of campaigning against age of consent laws, so big thumbs down. <laughs> um, so I Camus. did not know that. Yeah. Uh, Her and Sartre were both like, but what if we fucked kids? We're French. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but Camus. Yeah. Rachel, how about you? You have any, any, who's on your, uh, your starting, how many people are on a soccer team? Seven? 
No, 15. No. Well, that's a lot of philosophers. I don't think we want to. Oh, no, 11. Minutes. Sorry, 11. I was thinking rugby. No. Anyway, it's a lot. Aaron wraps um, yeah, up and his having... lecture on Spinoza by totally missing how many people are on a soccer team. Please continue, Rachel. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, not having a degree in philosophy, I have absolutely zero knowledge about any philosophers. So I unfortunately cannot name even one. Oh. No worries. I feel like that's a better way to be a human being. You know, you try and make me, you make me feel better about the, those kinds of comments. You know, like, it's good that you don't know anything about this. And I'm just like, is it though? It quite I mean, actually is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you get, there's a lot less, I don't know. It's just. Shutters uh, moves on. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, quite actually. literally spent thousands of hours reading philosophers and I've it's not a joke that I think there's only one good one. I'm being 100% serious. Um, so I, I think like there are some some broad highlights to also consider here when you're talking about the run up to the 20th century and then the 21st is um, you, you have a movement or maybe a set of ideas or whatever of like deism, which starts to kind of take hold among some influential thinkers and deism is the idea that there is a creator god but this this god just kind of started things going and then hasn't done anything since absent father dad yeah absent father and uh you know a lot of people kind of point to uh the american founding fathers as being deists in one way or another um you can kind of read that as light agnosticism if if you are so inclined uh, another thing to think about <clears throat> is the role of Marx as being an influential atheist with the, you know, the whole religion is the opiate of the masses stuff, which is more complicated than that one soundbite alone. We'll edit the Soviet anthem into here. <laughs> Do it in post. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the out of Marx, you get these communist movements, which are... Uh, advocates of creating atheist states uh, outside of Marxist ideas. Which ironically is like a big thing that links those communist movements with the initial like rationalist capitalist movements. Like Mm. it's a huge, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get esoteric and shitty right now. But (laughs) the first thing that the capitalists did when they overthrew feudalism in France was Maximilien Robespierre, who I, unapologetically stand except for a few things like this one um and burning down all of western france um bad idea don't do that (laughs) he created a thing called like the cult of reason essentially yeah and was like totally anti-religion and then not long later you get 100 years later you get fucking vladimir lenin doing the same thing and it looks very similar and it's just like those dumb fucking proles don't know what's good for them. I'll teach them how to do a religion. Fuck those guys. Sorry. And you, you know, it's uh, that was where kind of the next two little bullet points in my my broad scope here is like the yes. reaction against church and state, starting with the French Revolution and and then you know carrying on to the secularization of the state under Napoleon with his Napoleonic Code and everything else like that. But you have this 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 turn in the 18th century. Uh, and then the 19th of the the state should be secular in most regards and then that grows 
as time progresses and theory goes until you come today where, uh, you know, everyone is starting to go, maybe we should be fundamentalist in our governments. <laughs> That's problematic. But before we get to that, uh, we need to turn our attention to the dawn of the 21st century after Napoleon rightfully was struck down by by good God-fearing Englishmen and, and the allies, the Russians and Prussians, and all of that good stuff. Uh, Shout-outs to minus 40 degrees Celsius. <laughs> so we, we, we need to turn our attention to the dawn of the 21st century. We had it. We were on the verge of greatness. We were this close to providing peace and security to humanity. And then we all lost our goddamn minds with the Twin Tower attacks on 9-11. I, th- I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but I think I knew then that America was utterly fucked for the rest of my life and probably everyone else's. See, I was a freshman in high school then, and after the attack, we spent every class period watching CNN. And this was back in the day when you could imagine people in the South watching CNN. Toward the end of the day... Uh, I was in what I think was like a vaguely defined science class. In the back of the room was a group of JROTC kids. They were all in uniform. And I was sitting off to the side with my other deeply strange buddies. Ariel Sharon came on TV expressing Israel's support for the U.S. in this time. And one of the JROTC kids stood up and shouted, they did it. The Israelis did it. (laughs) It was, in fact, A preview of every feral Twitter-brained asshole claiming everyone they don't like is either the CIA or Mossad. That girl's reaction was a microcosm of the country losing its shit. A couple of years later, America invaded Iraq, and I began getting into drag-out arguments with JROTC kids about everything from whether or not Vietnam was actually a war. They said it wasn't, because America had never lost a war, and Congress did not declare war to whether or not they were insane for joining JROTC. Then, well, you both know America's slip right the fuck down to Christian dominionism and how soon enough the three of us will be sharing a train car to a concentration camp in Idaho. But we're not here to talk about JROTC and how it poisons poor kids in rural areas. Now, we're here to talk about atheists. And uh, though the two points may seem disconnected, they're attached at the hip. You see, to my reckoning, America truly lost its fucking gourd with Iraq. A more controversial war you haven't seen since Vietnam. The Iraq War invasion sparked massive protests at home and abroad and kicked off a mudslide that found America's reputation thrown into the toilet so badly that the Nobel Commission gave Obama a Nobel Peace Prize for simply not being George W. Bush. Wait, really? Yeah, no, he was elected. And I think it was like the month afterward or something. uh, He got the the Nobel Peace Prize. I didn't know that. Uh And he was literally just like, maybe don't turn the whole thing into a parking lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, was talking to my buddy in, in Kiev recently and he, about the, they awarded, uh, I don't know, peace prizes to a few different groups and he was angry. And I said, yeah, it's just, they, they, they gave Obama the peace prize for being not Bush. So you just got to roll with it, man. (laughs) They did award it to a few different groups, and in one of my favorite ones, one of the groups they awarded it to was, like, the, like, picture underneath, like, wins Nobel Peace Prize was a few of them, like, holding guns. <laughs> and it was like, you can like what they're doing, but it's not peace. 
Words mean things. <laughs> so that's where we are, right? Now, in the middle of all of this, in 2004 and 2006 specifically, two books came out that swung discourse in this country toward a horrible, horrible place. These two books are The God Delusion by Richard Dicky D. Dawkins and The End of Faith by Sam Harris. I don't have a clever nickname for Sam Harris. What what if you had to choose a clever nickname for Sam Harris, what would it be? Not that Dicky D is very clever, but <laughs> I I hate that man with such an intense well of passion that I can't even like <laughs> conceptualize. Rachel, do you have uh, any ideas? No, I don't have any fun. Okay. Fun nicknames. What about like Shitheel? Shitheel? <laughs> <laughs> Sam Shitheel Harris. I don't know. Anyway, so these two books came out alongside work by a guy named Daniel Dannett and a guy named Christopher Hitchens. And, uh, well, we live in a country that is obsessed with marketing and packaging. These four guys became known as the Four Atheist Horsemen. And with the Four Atheist Horsemen came the New Atheist Movement, the central focus of our chat today. The New Atheist Movement was described by YouTuber ContraPoints as starting off as Quote, a new Parisian salon where we were the new Voltaires arguing about atheism online. She then followed that by saying how quickly it went to shit and became a breeding ground for what turned into the anti-woke, anti-social justice grazing areas of the Internet. It really just goes to show you that whenever you think you found something nice, it will implode very soon. But why did these books come out in 2004 to 2006? Why did the publishing industry decide then that these books could sell? Well, here's some context from a Nation article from 2007 titled simply The New Atheist. Quote, the success of the New Atheists may, however, reflect something significant among their audience. In the past generation in the United States, atheists, agnostics, and secular humanists have been a timid minority, almost voiceless, often on the defensive, routinely derided, both warned against and ignored. As Susan Jacoby pointed out in her book, Free Thinkers, it is symptomatic of the situation that took place. Uh, what? Whoop, nope. Hold on. All right. Going back. As Susan Jacoby pointed out in her book, Freethinkers, it is symptomatic of the situation that the most dramatic presidential address in generations took place in the National Cathedral three days after September 11th, 2001, so filled with religious language that it sounded like a sermon. It was delivered by a president flanked by Jewish, Muslim, and Christian representatives, a model of religious inclusive, inclusiveness without anyone standing alongside them representing the tens of millions of non-religious Americans. Americans as a whole may not be getting too much religion, uh, but a significant constituency must be uh, getting fed up with routinely being marginalized, ignored, and insulted. After all, unbelievers are concentrated at the higher end of the educational scale. A recent Harris American poll shows that 31% of those with postgraduate educa education do not avow belief in God, compared with only 14% of those with a high school education or less. <clears throat> in addition to those quotes, the article breaks down several surveys, in addition to the Harris American poll, that attempt to determine how many people are, quote, unbelievers. The author uh, of this article, Ronald Arison, uh, arrives at the conclusion that as of 2007, as many as 25% of Americans could be classified as agnostic, atheist, or skeptical. This is important because the piece outlines a vast swath of Americans that are potentially put out by macro-level discourse around religion in the country. I'm going to go to Aronson's conclusion here and then turn to his introductions about the, fourth, the four atheists. 
So uh, buckle in. But over the past generation, they have come to feel beleaguered. And except for rare individuals like comedian and talk show host Bill Maher. And again, this was 2007. So before <laughs> Bill Maher truly became a raging asshole. Back when uh, Bill Maher was just a cool guy who got off TV because he joked about 9-11. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before he was like an edgier John Stewart, I guess. Or when he was an edgy, edgier John Stewart. Um, the great success of the new atheists is to have reached them both speaking to and for them. These writers are devoted with sledgehammer force and angry urgency to, quote, breaking the spell cast by the religious ascendancy to overcoming a situation in which every other area of life can be critically analyzed while admittedly irrational religious faith is made central to American life, but exempted from serious discussion. Sam Harris displays brash self-confidence. Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, angry intellectual bite, and Daniel Dennett, a uh, an inexhaustible theoretical energy and range uh, range of inquiry. Harris excoriates uh, religious moderates, accusing them of providing cover for fundamentalists at home and abroad by refusing to contest the extremist premises because they share them. More upbeat. Dennett is devoted to creating the intellectual conditions for future discussions in which religion will be treated as just another natural phenomenon and accordingly subjected to critical scrutiny. Dawkins bulldozes his way through every major argument for religious uh, belief and a great many minor ones. And Hitchens endlessly catalogs religion's crimes and absurdity. Every man is at war, writing as if no others had preceded him, and with a passion that can be only described as political. What truly gets me about all these guys is they're like, religion is like free from critique in our modern society. And it's like, bro, can I point you to the Talmud maybe? Or like literally any other fucking religious book. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of, we're going to get into it, but uh, there's a lot of blindness to any sort of history in all of these guys. No, I don't, Shark, what do you know about Daniel Dennett? Because I honestly didn't do any looking into him because it's not as fun to to yell about him. Yeah, I mean, I was, Daniel Dennett, from what I understand, isn't a huge asshole. And when I was into this stuff, I was a huge asshole. So Uh, I wasn't very drawn. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) So, uh, Rachel, what's your take on that? Uh, Well, I'm kind of just sitting here, like, furrowing my eyebrows, like, trying to really understand. Um, I don't have uh, any, really any background in this. So, it's just, I'm just absorbing. Okay. So, basically, I'm formulating thoughts right now. To kind of recap, you know, you have uh, in this period that we're just going to call 99 to 2006, you have the uh, the end of history phase. You know, you have Russia is the Russian Federation is consolidating all of the power struggles. Uh, Clinton and America are seen as like the only world power anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like neoliberalism has has won everything. And then you have 9-11, mm-hmm. which blows everything down. Lucky group of underdogs from rural <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> and in reaction to this, you have um, the, the you have the discussions that start happening of Islam is going to kill us all, and right? Leading the charge against this and like kind of this not online space because there is no online space, but in the closest amalgamation to an online space are these four guys richard dawkins christopher hitchens and uh, sam harris and then daniel dennett okay and 
uh, Dickie D. I'm going to get into him in a moment, but he publishes a book called The God Delusion. Sam Harris publishes uh, a book called The End of Faith and then a couple of other things. And Hitchens is a a journalist who we're also going to talk about. But they all just, they kind of make their mark by being these brash, angry, intellectual types who have a bone to pick with religious. Okay. So that's, that's all setting the stage here, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that unites them is that they're all kind of aggressive- assaholic white men who are good writers yeah okay or at least decent writers decent writers sam harris is not a good writer <laughs> that's fair sam harris is the weakest of the bunch hitchens yeah. is the strongest of the bunch but yeah so we're gonna start talking about these uh, well three of these guys uh we're gonna start with dickie d dickie d richard dawkins uh but dickie d to his close friends yeah. was born to english civil servants in colonial kenya in 1941. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He comes from a family of Oxford types, which should not be surprising given the whole civil servant background. And he got his start as an evolutionary biologist. Which he's pretty good at. He is. And I like the the Blind Watchmaker, which I I referenced earlier, is a really good book. We can talk about that in a minute. He also coined the word meme. Damn it, you took the really? words wow. right out of right. my mouth. Yeah, that comes Points from him. Uh, a book called The Selfish Gene in 1976. Also good. I, so that one I haven't read. But uh, yeah, it's so the, the I, do you want to go into what the, the 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 original usage of the word meme was? Um, he talks about it in The Selfish Gene, right? It's been a while mm-hmm. where it's yeah. like a reoccurring like genetic pattern or something. I'm forgetting. It's been a minute. It's, it's like a reoccurring thing that comes out of human cultural change. Yeah. So it's like an idea, right? That just kind of sticks to human culture and reoccurs. Uh, so, you know, whenever you, whenever you and your, your youth friends are on your leftist discord channels or what the fuck ever you have Dickie D to thank for your sick memes. (laughs) So in 1986, Dawkins releases a book called The Blind Watchmaker, and it provides a counter-argument for the, quote, watchmaker theory of intelligent design uh, with evolution acting as the blind watchmaker. Uh, Rachel, do you know what the watchmaker (laughs) No. Yeah. Not not trying to pick on Rachel, listeners. I just... It's okay. I am probably representative of a lot of people who don't know what it is. So please use me as the... (laughs) The reason to give this explanation. <laughs> so the watchmaker theory is the idea that God is this intricate, very, uh, very wise machine. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. An yeah. old person with like glasses on, very intricately working on something small exactly. and trying to build. Yeah, yeah. And he sets up the universe as if it is a watch. All of these things are going together in a in a prescribed plan, right? And like a big part of this is the idea that like in a watch, if you take any piece out, the watch stops functioning. And there are like things in nature, like the eye is a thing yeah. we talk about a lot that that's also true of, except it's not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the this book, again, is kind of setting up a, a Darwinian evolution as the blind watchmaker. Uh, basically, it's just this this big argument of, well, it, it's set up this way in a way that everything works, but it is not intended. It just thing systems evolve. Is that why, of, why it's like the blind part? Exactly. Okay. It's a good book worth reading. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, it's something that made me, you know, look up from reading and think, oh, right, I don't believe in it. Uh, it also inspired Douglas Adams to write a few essays about his own perspective and do some really good tribal writing about, you know, evolution and like the cool things that happened in the world. And he also became good friends with Dickie D. Uh, thankfully for Adams, he he died before Dickie D lost his mind. Yes. Uh, in, in 2006, The God Delusion. I have read this book. I do not remember anything about this book. A couple of searches and scanning the wiki page bring up that he pulled up some very lazy arguments like, well, it's very unfair to label a child by their parents' religion, isn't it? And, well, most people would absolutely kill each other if they weren't scared of God, wouldn't they? <laughs> now, the thing I do remember about this book is that I read it and I thought, I don't think this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I also thought, he should take a couple of religious studies classes. Then I thought, I'm minoring in religious studies. I'm better at this than Dickie D. Soon after The God Delusion was published, a Nation article titled Among the Disbelievers popped up and critiqued the four atheist horsemen. The author, Daniel Lazare, does an admirable job of criticizing these, quote, great minds' ability to, inability to see beyond their own biases. Here's what he has to say about uh, Dawkins. Dawkins' sense of history is so minimal that it approaches the vanishing point. He is a classic example of the shallow rationalist who thinks that all you have to know about history is that everything was cloudy and dark until the scientific revolution of the 16th and 17th centuries, at which point the sun began poking through. If there's <laughs> one thing I hate most, it's that. Yeah, no, and that all is all other of these guys. modern garbage flows directly from that <laughs> sewer pipe and into the yep. brains of everyone's Caucasian father. There was nothing before the Enlightenment. Everything was muddy and dark. We were all killing each other in the mud. <laughs> My point here is in a way that isn't legally incitement. I want Steven Pinker to die. We're not going to bring him up in this episode, but no, well, we. I don't go into Steven Pinker because yeah. that that's that the whole other thing, but he's one of be, these guys and all these yeah. guys fucking suck. Cause they think yeah. history started at 1750. Yeah. And before that, it was just dudes being dudes hitting each yeah. other with rocks. Like, yeah. <laughs> ah, <come>! um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so uh, Lazare continues, since Dawkins sees all religion as merely dumb, he can't imagine how this might be. Hence, he can't see how the idea of an all-powerful, all-knowing creator might cause worshippers to see the world as a single integrated whole and then launch them on a long intellectual journey to figure out how the various parts fit together. And I think that mindset that he's describing is really sad. Uh, where where Shark looks to the skies and screams, Khan. <laughs> I just go, man, that sucks. Because uh, Lazare is dead on and Dawkins is a smart dude. If you've read his evolutionary books, you know he's someone who is really, really good at explaining complex concepts that he really does understand to a wide audience. In fact, I would argue that he's probably better at it than Carl Sagan was, uh, at least when it comes to like being a science popularizer. Yeah. <laughs> and he's also in the same class as Brian Greene, Brian Cox, or Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, clearly, Dawkins's <laughs> biggest flaw is that his first name does not start with a B. Yes. If his name started with a B, he wouldn't be a shit heel. But I his mean, name. <laughs> you don't know much about Bill Nye, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. And I would like to keep it that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but his name does not start with a B, so he's a shit heel. 
and I'd like to prove it to you with a few choice quotes. <laughs> Just casting down my own veil of ignorance about Bill Nye the Science Guy. Solid choice. <laughs> uh, and these quotes are going to come with context because here we are. In 2009, the New Statesman published a piece called 20 Ways to Save Labor, as in the Labor Party. Dickie D was quoted in it and tried to make a point about how a civil government could uh, should not enfranchise religious organizations, instead acting as a secular, fully neutral force. However, what he chose to state was stop toadying to Muslims and other faith communities as part of a general abolition of religious privilege. And it's like... This fucking guy cannot make a point without being an asshole. Just like <laughs> stop toadying to Muslims. <laughs> yeah, there could have been a better way to say that. <laughs> yeah. Name the thing England does. Be nice to Islam. Oh, yeah, it's fuck. it's. This is 2011. Before that, really took hold. Like it's it's. I, I'm still surprised that Khan was elected the uh, mayor of London. That one was surprising to me. Um. Not going to get into English politics, though. That's not what we're here for. So in 2011, Dickie D, who is also the founder of the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Science and Reason. I'm I'm serious. That is his (laughs) self-titled thing that he founded. Uh, He did a big old, whoa. This gets outlined in an Atlantic article titled Richard Dawkins Gets Into a Comments War with Feminists. (laughs) Do you know what this is about, Shark? Okay, he shark is nodding. The rundown and background. Sadly, <laughs> Sadly nodding. Uh-huh. The rundown and background is that at an atheist conference, a woman was alone with a very creepy dude in an elevator. She made remarks about this, stating that it was a shame that creepy dudes were hugely unnerving women in what should have been a welcoming environment. Comments happened in the comment section, and here's what Dickie D replied with in the form of a, quote, sarcastic, well, I mean, he didn't say this, the the article in the Atlantic said this, in the form of a sarcastic letter to Muslim women. And here is Dickie D's quote. Stop whining, will you? Yes, yes, I know you had your genitals mutilated with a razor blade and yawn. Don't tell me again. I know you aren't allowed to drive a car and can't leave the house without a male relative and your husband is allowed to beat you and you'll be stoned to death if you commit adultery. But stop whining, will you? Think of the suffering your poor American sisters have to put up with. Just absolutely unhinged to... Trying. You can't see my face right now, but my mouth is open. It's, just yeah. So basically, the this, fuck. what was happening, I think, is like uh, a, a, a Muslim woman was expressing solidarity and Dickie D chose to go fucking unhinged. Uh, he doubled down on this, saying that really the people reacting to him were too dense to understand that he was saying that she was overreacting, the, the, the American woman. <clears throat> Because the guy in the elevator was just speaking some words to her. Just words. She no doubt replied with words. That was that. Words. Only words. And apparently quite polite words at that. Rebecca's feeling that the man's proposition was creepy was her own interpretation of his behavior, presumably (laughs) not his. Jesus fucking Christ. She was, she was probably offended to about the same extent as I am offended if a man gets into an elevator with me chewing gum. But he does to me no physical damage, and I simply grin and bear it until either I or he gets out of the elevator. It would be different if he physically attacked me. 
my god. Others replied that he didn't understand the power dynamics at play. That women being alone in an elevator with a man is, by virtue of humanity being horrible species, a tense situation. Dawkins, being who he is, continued fighting in the comments section. Uh, And I just want us to stop and acknowledge for a moment that here's a man who is very smart, very accomplished, very famous, and he is choosing to get into fights on the internet. Not just on the internet, but in the comments section of a blog post. It is truly the most Twitter-brained move you could ever fucking make. He's the most Twitter-brained person in the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like people like who have a standing like his like do yourself a favor just shut up like (laughs) there's no uh, hire a social media manager give your phone to them there's no reason to participate (laughs) keep your little awful thoughts in your own head yep get a flip phone do not give yourself exactly jesus christ Uh, one thing i will say for daniel dennett is someone asked him about richard dawkins internet behavior and he was literally like dawkins just has to shut the fuck up like he's ruining (laughs) his whole reputation yeah Yeah. exactly like these people are just digging their own holes like stop it Mm it gets worse (laughs) oh great subtitled podcast So uh, more recently, Dawkins appears to choose to spend his time yet again on Twitter, making the same sorts of statements that transphobes makes make. Now, lots of things that are very close to, well, they're clearly not women genetically, but for the sake of politeness, I have no issue with using the pronouns. And I want to stress, I am woefully under uneducated when it comes to gender studies. Blind spot. My rule, though, is that if I don't know something about a serious topic, I try not to say anything about it. But what I do know is that this perhaps, uh, what I do know about this is that perhaps Twitter is not a good place to try and get into a discussion about sex, gender, genes, and identity. Definitely not when you have a history of being called on misunderstanding a situation and then doubling down on your stance. Aaron Simon against the free marketplace of ideas. I am. Yep. Me and Daniel Dennett just saying, (laughs) uniting, shaking hands over, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, in response to his comments, the American Humanist Association revoked an award given to Dawkins. He has since 2021 been uh, putting weight behind some folks who are, if not solely in, are adjacent to the British turf movement, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. He has thus chosen to spend his time yelling at people on Twitter about biological sex. Along with a whole host of other crazy shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of... Do you want to you want to give your highlights before we move on? My favorite Dawkins tweet of all time that lives in my head rent-free is he just tweeted out one day, mild pedophilia is bad. Violent pedophilia is worse. If you think this is an endorsement of mild pedophilia, go away. Yeah. And it's like, why are we ranking pedophilia? <laughs> what yeah. is happening here? He also thought he should chime in that violent rape is worse than date rape, which also... Oh, God, I forgot about that. that. Yeah, wow. I, I feel like I saw that and thought, oh, I should include that. I was like, I don't want to be behind the bastards. I need to continue moving. <laughs> he also once said that all of the world's Muslims have as many Nobel Prizes as yeah. Trinity College at Oxford. And that anytime you say Muslim scholar, the scholar should be in quotes. Yeah. And I, I think there's one thing that I didn't do well enough with Dawkins is he 
all of these guys really have a thing about Islam and Muslims. And uh, I mean, the the toadying to Muslims thing kind of gives you an indication of that. But they really don't think that there's anything intellectual coming out of any Muslim person. It's very distressing and sad. And I think that's my my recap on Dawkins, really. It's, it's just sad. Like, in a different world, he's he's charming and he's a good communicator. But he doesn't acknowledge his mistakes. He won't back down. And he can't learn to not get on fucking Twitter. Don't. Yeah, it sounds like he needs, like, just basically a, some a guardian. Someone protecting his Twitter <laughs> accounts. Yeah. Letting everything flow through this person who's like, this is not fit for public consumption. Yeah. Like, please, no. Yeah. Um, conservatorships he, but only for old white intellectual dudes exactly yeah. oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it, it is very much a thing of um yeah you can make an argument about uh well we're gonna get into it with sam harrison that's 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 we'll leave it there so rachel what's All your the, thought on dickie d i mean you kind of you kind of said it but yeah i mean it's, he sounds smart and has you know some good thoughts on like specific <laughs> topics but for most everything else, he just needs to yep. shut up and keeps keep his thoughts to himself. It sets the tone for the whole new atheist movement. You got a lot oh, of guys who are who are atheists for one reason or another, and uh, decide that makes them experts. And you everything. said these are all white men as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Just Correct. the whitest men yep. who have ever yep. lived. Well, it, it's really interesting because the next two guys we're going to talk about are uh, halakhically Jewish. And that part of identity. Wait, what does that mean? Uh, ha- halakha, halakha, however you want to pronounce it, is basically <laughs> just <laughs> is, uh, just Jewish law. And when you say someone is halakhically Jewish, that means it's matrilineal. Uh, okay. And okay. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Um, so next, we're going to talk about Christopher Hitchens. And simply put, he was a bizarre fucking man. Uh, he grew up uh, what seems to be middle class, son of a couple who had in common their service in the Royal Navy. When he was young, he was part of a ton of radical organizations, including a vaguely Trotskyist paper that was an international socialist magazine that has a, had as its slogan, neither Washington nor Moscow but international socialism. And before we get into the new atheist, the new atheist stuff, I want to dive into his life a little bit because there's something here that just surprised the hell out of me. And uh, as someone who didn't follow Hitchens for a long time, so we'll talk about it. After school, Hitchens went to Athens. He wrote about the military junta there. And then after establishing himself in London for a bit, he took a job in DC as a correspondent and columnist for the magazine, The Nation from a tablet magazine article titled The Tenth Man. Quote, Hitchens' bi-weekly columns dabbled in conspiracy theories, indictment of the military-industrial complex, and other anti-authoritarian and vaguely left-wing commitments that lumped together were distinguished solely by idiosyncrasy. He scorned Mother Teresa and Henry Kissinger. He flirted with being pro-life, and not only defended the Holocaust denier uh, David Irving's right to free speech, but praised certain aspects of his histories. At times, as a Marxist, as a self-avowed Marxist, yeah, uh, yeah. At times, he adopted apparently contradictory or just plain outlandish positions for the sake, it seemed, of making himself distinct. 
The only person who could have agreed with Hitchens on everything was someone, somebody pledged to agreeing with Hitchens on everything. In his beliefs, he was deliberately solitary. And one thing I want to point out is this article is broadly in favor of Hitchens. But even this article had to acknowledge uh, just a weird dude. And like some of his takes are so good. Yeah. He's another one who like, he's a some of them are. He's a brilliant speaker. Yeah. One of the best quips of all time. He's got a lot. Is from God is not great. His book where he says nothing optional is ever punishable unless those who do the prohibiting want to take part in it. Mm. Talking about homosexuality and adultery. Okay. Yeah. You only outlaw these things because you want to do them. It's like, yeah, a proper take. Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I don't really, I don't trust people who just take positions just to be the, you know, the unique one or like, yeah. Yeah. Rachel, you're very intelligent. You're very wise. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Very wise, Rachel. Uh, the thing that most people will know about Hitchens, aside from the new atheist thing, is that he was a fervent backer of the Iraq war. And the question of how an ardent socialist, an ardent international socialist, at least for most of his life, could come uh, could come back to a horrific conflict, come to back, sorry, a horrific conflict, is put simply baffling, especially when he was not a fan of Kissinger. He said that we were bombing Afghanistan out of the Stone Age. Yeah. Oh, wow. Horrific take. Fuck that yep. guy. Yep. Um, yeah. Just think about that for a minute. In another gem of a take, he once said that invading Iraq would not make our Al-Qaeda problem worse. Which <laughs> <laughs> did not I, age well. I mean, in a way, he was right because it turned into ISIS. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. So he spilled a lot of ink writing about why he thinks it was a just war. And if you're interested, you could go read some of that. I'm not going to go into it. Don't. Uh, Because, you know, as I wrote that sentence, it was Thursday and here we are on Saturday and I could only spend so much time writing about this stuff. Uh, Now, it may be that the source of Hitchens' Hitchens reactionary views on Islam came from Iran's issuance of a fatwa on Salman Rushdie from that that tablet article on February 14th, 1989. Uh, Grand Ayatollah Khomeini, the supreme leader of the Islamic Republic of Iran, issued his famous fatwa calling for the death of Hitchens' friend Salman Rushdie over the alleged heresy in his novel, The Satanic Verses. Hitchens later wrote, I thought then, and I think now, that this was not just a warning of what was to come, it was the warning. The civil war in the Muslim world between those who believed in jihad and sharia and those who did not was coming to our streets and cities. Mm. It's so funny how we took all those people who believed in his in jihad and we gave them all guns and weapons. <laughs> and then they got powerful. <clears throat> who could have seen? This is really about <laughs> Sal and Rushdie, you fucking piece of shit. God damn it. <laughs> have you seen the books that the State Department made for Afghan children during the Soviet-Afghan war? Oh, God, no. The, 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 <laughs> take one deep breath. Okay. Take your deep breath. The State Department created textbooks for children to learn Arabic with things <laughs> like, my uncle has a gun. He uses it for jihad to teach them how to speak. Wow. Because they were killing Soviets. These books are still used in Afghanistan. You know, I, I want to bring us back to, to Dune. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like Paul Atreides. 
who starts the great jihad that wipes out billions of people uh, yeah. in the in the issue the furtherance of his own power and then uh it ultimately leads ultimately leads to his blinding uh in in a uh, atomic explosion in a suburb uh that was built to house uh veterans of the jihad who feel alienated from him after he abandoned them it's almost like uh you know you could take some lessons from <laughs> fiction yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my uncle has a gun he uses it for jihad oh, God. never gonna bite us in the ass i'm sure it's gonna be fine rachel i just wish i could see your face right now <laughs> i assume you, the, the <laughs> you know classic shaking my head just yeah Taught them math by counting bullets in the books. But no, it's fucking it's a war in the Islamic world. <laughs> fucking British Which people. Which thought that was... Uh, who was responsible for making that content? People so in Nebraska, I think. <laughs> Corn-fed American patriots. Quite literally people in yeah. Nebraska, I think, at the behest of the CIA and the State Department. Henry fucking Kissinger. Um, yep. So, like the other main dudes we're talking about on this episode, 9-11 seems to have thrown Hitchens into overdrive. From the start of the war until his death in 2011, Hitchens was an ardent supporter. The Among the Disbelievers article I mentioned er- earlier. He was uh, a supporter until 2011? Till he died. No one was yeah. a supporter of the Iraq War in 2011. Hitchens was. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, yeah, so that that article I mentioned earlier, he it puts it this way with a couple of salvos, just real good burns, kind of. I mean, they're they're longer. Anyway, uh, since then, with everyone from Richard Pearl to uh, Peter Beinart busily busily backpedaling, why do you write like this? Uh, as the dimensions of the disaster have grown more and more glaring, Hitchens has dug in his heels, like John McCain strolling through the Baghdad markets. He is more defiant of reality than ever, more insistent, as he put it in a March 26th article in The Australian, that the occupation has made the world a better and safer place. (laughs) In God is not great, he has something unpleasant to say about nearly every believer under the sun except one. He trots out John Ashcroft's uh, infamous remark that America has no king but Jesus, and reminds us that Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson both welcome 9-11 as payback for America's tolerance of homosexuality and abortion. He informs us that Hamas has talked about imposing the old uh, Al Jazeera, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, tax on Christians and Jews in the West Bank. While in Gaza in April 2005, Muslim militants shot and killed a young woman named Yusra Al-Azami merely because she was sitting unchaperoned in a car with her fiancé. For those inclined to think of the late Saddam Hussein as a third world dictator in the secular nationalist mold, Hitchens points out that Saddam found religion after the 1979 Iranian revolution inscribing the words Allahu Akbar, God is great, on the Iraqi flag. Building a huge mosque as a showcase for his new piety, hold on, Chuck, (laughs) producing a handwritten version of the Quran, allegedly with his own blood. Yet one person is conspicuously absent from Hitchens' list of religious evildoers. George W. Bush. Yes, the man who said Jesus is his favorite philosopher, quote, because he changed my heart and as governor of Texas proclaimed June 10th as Jesus Day, goes <laughs> unmentioned. Yeah, Jesus. God, uh, I didn't te- know that. Texas is fucked. Texas has always been fucked and will forever more, forever more be fucked. I'm glad that my family yeah. is slowly trickling out of there. Uh, so the article continues. How can this be? 
the explanation has some has has to do with Hitchens' subtitle. If religion poisons everything, then it must be responsible for most of the evil in the world, since belief of this sort is currently so widespread and pervasive. If a political leader is religious, he or she must be bad, and if he or she is bad, he or she must be religious. This is why Saddam gets slammed for his cynical exploitation of Islam, and why Bush, author of The Global War on Terror and The War on Iraq, both of which Hitchens supports, gets a free pass. If he is to be believed, our faith-based president is defending rationalism against religious intolerance. Despite Hitchens' anti-Stalinist credentials, arguments like these are so unscrupulous as to call to mind the common turn of the late 30s and early. So that was a lot. What do you have to say? One, does Chris Virgins know that Joseph Stalin exists? Um, or two, or Pol Pot, or fucking any of the communist or non-religious dictators. Um, but for two, if you want to see like the single most unhinged interview of all time, in my opinion, he's got this interview where Hitchens talks about the moment Saddam Hussein seized power from the Ba'athist party in general, which is a wild moment. You can find it on YouTube, and I strongly recommend watching it. Saddam, they're sitting in this big room, and Saddam is literally dragging people out one by one and shooting them in the hallway. And the shot is of the room and the people still in it. Yeah, And you can see, like, so much of just, like, the human experience in a weird way happening as, like, more and more people get drug out until mm. there's like a select cadre left and they all cheer. Cause like, it's just over. It doesn't matter. Like what just yeah. happened? Like it's over. We're just happy. We're still here. And Christopher Hitchens says that this is like innately the face of evil. And he does like this whole weird, like anti-Arab fucking bullshit rant. And I just think like that sums up so much of Christopher Hitchens to me that like he sees this totalitarian thing that is actually really interesting and then just like glosses over all of the interesting parts. He's like, Mm. he's the ultimate pop philosopher in that like everything he talks about, he can explain to you in two minutes and it looks great on a book jacket. Yeah. And I just fucking hate him. Yep. Rachel, you have anything to add? No, I have no hot takes. I'm just sitting here with my <laughs> head in my hands trying to understand why these people exist. I think this means that Rachel is an ardent Stalinist. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is the point that I want to leave on so we can get to the meat of these motherfuckers. Hitchens did not solely focus on Islam. A lot of it was on Islam. But while every new atheist thinker made it clear that they stood against all religions, only Hitchens, as near as I can tell, spent significant time talking about Judaism. There's an article titled The Problem with Hitchens that goes into it in detail, but I'm not going to go into that piece for the sake of brevity, and there's some weird arguments in there. But I do want to uh, turn to an argument that Hitchens makes in God is Not Good. The argument, such as it is, goes like this. The Maccabean Revolt was a successful revolt by religious fundamentalists that led the Romans to ally with religious hardliners in the name of stability when they took over. This allowed Judaism to continue, and quote, this eventually eventually led to Christianity, this is Hitchens saying this, parentheses, yet another Jewish heresy, end parentheses, and thus uh, to the birth of Islam. We could have been spared the whole thing. That's right. Hanukkah is a celebration of the death of the world at the hands of radical Islam. 
God, that makes Hanukkah so much cooler. <laughs> Instead of a holiday about you know, greasy potatoes and a simple betting game, it's the death of the world. But what makes this this bit really interesting is, uh, as I was saying earlier, he was likely halakhically Jewish. See, his mother was of Jewish descent, and because Halakha demands that uh, determines that Jews tie our ancestry through our mothers, this means he was Jewish. I say likely because there was a weird she was one thirty second Jewish comment in one of the articles that I read, and I have no idea how to take that. Now, my own weirdness about this is, you know, based in you know, my mom was not born Jewish, and I've had a lot of arguments with a lot of assholes because of that. But what's interesting about this? Wait, Aaron, you're not Jewish. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> What's interesting <laughs> about this is <laughs> because Hitchens, upon learning the fact that his mom had 132nd Jewish or whatever, uh, upon learning that, he seems to have done exactly what Bill Maher did when he learned that his mother was, he ran with it just hard. Hitchens started greeting people with Shalom. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> he stated my initial reaction, apart from pleasure and interest, was the faint but definite feeling that I had somehow known all along. Wow. <laughs> now, Hitchens seems to have uh, believed that because he was always a fan of Jewish socialist thinkers and had a weird fixation on the bits of Ulysses that were about the anti-Semitism in James Joyce's Ireland. From the tablet article, what's becoming what becoming Jewish did was allow Hitchens to seize upon Jewish Judaism's rationalist strain. Spinoza, not Abraham. Moses Mendelssohn, not Moses Maimonides, and not one word Moses. And thus, uh, the Haskalah, not the Enlightenment. And Haskalah is probably not going to know. It's like the the Jewish Enlightenment and the Pale of Settlement. Hasids, fiddle on the roof. Uh, he was orphaned. <laughs> <laughs> He was orphaned and made Jewish almost simultaneously, departing a small affiliation while joining a much larger one. And as one can imagine, Hitchens putting it uh, with a due nod to a different Marx, joining a, uh, joining one of the few clubs of which he may have wished to be a member. He's The author is referring to Groucho Marx, saying uh, I, I wouldn't be a member of any club that wanted me. Uh, so what the fuck is going on here? I mean, I don't really know. I, I think maybe at the heart of it, Hitchens was a joiner. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of being Jewish. There are a lot of good holidays. Gefilte fit. <laughs> <laughs> no bits. <laughs> I am. <laughs> there are a lot of good holidays. Gefilte fish is pretty all right. Slivovitz. Both of Slivovitz. these are silly takes. Shut the fuck up. Slivovitz is the best liquor, and I will not back down. Jesus Christ, Aaron. <laughs> no bits. <laughs> There's a lot of good things to like there, so I can see why Hitchens would want to embrace it, but I wonder how much he struggled with the fact that he blamed Hanukkah for Christianity and Islam like a gigantic schmuck. And it's like my my whenever I get into a thing about this specific topic... It's like about people who get like weirdly uh, exclusionary about this. It's like, well, all right, tell me about your bar mitzvah. Like, what is your what's your actual engagement with this beyond saying, I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Hitchens, fucking weird dude. <laughs> the idea of him greeting people with shalom really God. makes me laugh. Yeah, it was. Oh, <laughs> that's so like performatively Jewish. Yeah, uh, no. Why would you do that? <laughs> Especially as the most British man in the world. Yeah. And if there's one thing that can be easily said about England, uh, 
not a very Jewish place. They kicked us out multiple times. Yeah. I know. <laughs> My dog is looking at me. like just very sad. He doesn't like to hear. It. So there you go. Just a weird little little taste of Christopher Hitch. You know who else is a Jew who is a Shonda for Degoyim? Sam Harris. Sam Harris. Fuck uh, yes. <laughs> Do you know what Shonda for Degoyim is? It's just a, a shame in front of the of the Goyim. It's like if you if you fuck up and there's a bunch of Gentiles around the other Jews, like, That's, why are you doing this to us? Uh, like when you said Schlivovitz is the best liquor. It's the best liquor. Ago. Shut the it is the best liquor. <laughs> I love that stuff. It's delicious. It's a great <laughs> sipping thing. You don't drink it to get oh, drunk. You just you're, you're have you had Schlivovitz, Rachel? Maybe once. I think you did. We did this in Poland. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. I don't it's remember delicious. really what it tastes like. All right, it's not the best liquor. That was like a, that was like, a bit. I love it, whiskey. It tastes like <laughs> if you held plums near paint thinner and then drank the paint thinner. <laughs> I, it's good stuff. It's Is not this the like best. A, what? When do you drink it typically? Is this a before dinner thing? After dinner thing? Any uh, time just, of day? Like. It, when no you, specifics i don't drink it in any specific point okay okay i know like some people do it at passover specifically but no uh, i only know one liquor store in redacted that has it that should tell you something <laughs> meh <laughs> refuse to acknowledge that <laughs> moving on <laughs> so we're now going to talk about sam harris all right, I'm excited about this part because you guys have been talking about him all week and I still have Wait, no idea who he is, so bring you, it on. Oh my God. I hate him so much, Rachel. Rachel, I wish I were you. That is amazing <laughs> to not have known. I did a brief Harris's. Google and I was like, I don't want to get into this. And then I <sighs> closed the tab. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that is absolutely the correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so here's where we're going to get out of the muck. Dickie D and Christopher Hitchens were but entrees. Sam Harris is the giant medium rare steak with a side of potatoes. Wait, can I go refill my drink? Yeah. I guess they weren't entrees. They were, they were, what's appetizers. The... Appetizers. That's... <laughs> yeah. All right. Break time. Break time. Yep. Hello. Hello. How is Sir Barry doing today? He's doing good. We uh we went for a couple of long walks so far. Oh good. Yeah. Uh let me check all of these messages that came in. <laughs> um okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just gonna start back at the top of that paragraph. Okay, give me a countdown, please. I cannot hear you. Start. Okay. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about Sam Harris. And in doing so, we're going to really get into the muck with the new atheism. Dickie D and Christopher Hitchens were about appetizers. Sam Harris is the giant medium rare steak with a side of potatoes. See, while Dickie D has largely faded from the spotlight and Hitchens is dead, Sam Harris is still out there calling for rationality in one breath and then making the completely legitimate claims that black people have low IQ because of genes. That it's yes, perfectly yeah, perfectly fine to profile Arabs at the airport and that Islam is a religion of destruction and must be destroyed. In other words, he is Cato the Elder. So, oh, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. 
So uh, I, you know, we kind of already did this, but what do you know about Sam Harris? Please prevent your present your thoughts and your best Sam Harris impressions. For he is the antithesis of Ben Shapiro, and I cannot stop laughing about the idea of them being roommates. They weren't, but I want them to be. <laughs> God. <laughs> if they, I imagine them roommates in college where one of them, through a weird series of circumstances that I assume revolved on trickery, lures a girl back to their apartment so they can both <laughs> debate her in the free marketplace of ideas as to why they're actually very attractive. <laughs> I think that's a good summary of Sam Harris. Yep. <laughs> he sucks. Yeah. Rachel, you, 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 you've already uh, summed up that you are pure <laughs> and do not know this man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to hear about how right. awful he is. So, you know, we, we've, we've been kind of talking about, um, he's like if Jordan Peterson were Sheldon from the big bang theory. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we've been touching on the fact that these three guys are, are like, just intellectual white dudes, right? And I, I think Sam Harris is the type of of guy who uh, would steadfastly argue that he is not Jewish at all, but he is very, very white, and would not are would not even acknowledge that you know Ashkenazi Jews are an ethnicity at all or anything like that. Just a very strange man who who seems to be very sold on the fact that he is mainstream and very middle ground. Mm-hmm. So he's this guy who is a wildly successful podcast. And he has a wildly successful podcast because in 2004, he released a book called The End of Faith. He released that book because he was a rich boy who, until 9-11, spent his college years tripping and going on meditation journeys to the mysterious Orient. God, I fucking hate this. There's a whole now, genre of human that I hate. Now, he didn't call it that. He called it performing research for a neuroscience degree. But he was a rich kid who took a lot of drugs, tripped, and went to go find himself in India in Nepal. Wait, but he's a neuroscientist? He yep. did a graduate degree in that. I don't know okay. how Seems much very actual rant. research okay. he did. But yeah, he did a lot of his his like degree and focus was like on the effect on meditation and uh hallucinogenics. Hmm. He's very like you know that like crypto guy who also is into spirituality yeah, and like focusing yeah. your energy so that you can like get what you want out of life, bro. Yeah. Oh God. Very so like, like the that. cringy parts of both, both <laughs> yeah, things yeah. and then yeah. together and just one person. Okay. I got yeah. it. Yeah. He is. He's very yeah. much like do DMT because it'll show you that fiat currency is fake. So you buy Dogecoin. It's like that <laughs> fucking human. He is <laughs> the, the same sort of guy who uh, is this narcissist that I, no, in in redacted who once told me that all of my stuff could be cured if i just went on an ayahuasca journey yes that's sam harris you're like listen here motherfucker you don't know how long i've been sad and how hard i've worked on it (laughs) exactly (laughs) can't take this from me (laughs) now i am not saying that he leveraged his mother's hollywood connections she uh, what is, I think, a wildly successful TV producer and writer who created and worked on, among other things, Soap and the Golden Girls. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that. I am merely suggesting that it is possible. I am merely suggesting that creative industries tend to talk to each other. Wealth talks to wealth, power talks to power, and Sam Harris is an unremarkable writer. I am merely suggesting these things. 
Now, there are a ton of bits and pieces from the end of faith that you can hold up as, at the very least, questionable assertions of religion. But I'd like to focus on one. Toward the start of of the book, which you should not read if you value what precious little optimism you have left, there is the following quote. Moderates in every faith are obliged to loosely interpret or simply ignore much of their canons in the interest of living in the modern world. In that one simple quote, Harris plants his flag and espouses his worldview. Religion is inherently and ethically bankrupt, and if you call yourself a moderate, you're ignoring it or lying. I would also like to point out that he does not acknowledge progressive flavors of religions. Uh, Reform Judaism, the brand of Judaism in which I grew up, does not get a mention. The various sects of Islam that openly advocate for tolerance, work to talk uh, to take down hardliners, perform valuable outreach to communities, these are ignored. Harris loosely interprets religion to mean evangelical and fundamentally fundamentalist varieties of religions, which again is very strange because he supposedly learned things in meditative communities. He does not want to acknowledge that there are faith adherents who are legitimately better people than he is. (laughs) Indeed, this is not surprising. In 2006, he stated that the people who speak most sensibly about the threat that Islam poses to Europe are actually fascists. To break that down, he's putting his weight behind fascists, saying that they are right because Islam poses a threat to Europe. A thing we've not heard anywhere else in history from... Catholicism? Nope. (laughs) Or any other religion? Nope. Now, luckily, other people have done some really heavy lifting for us all when it comes to gathering the reprehensible shit that Sam Harris has gone to bat for. One of them is, uh, one of these people, are the fellows on the podcast I Don't Speak German, and they have an episode uh, titled Sam Harris is Not a Nazi. They spent a lot of time talking about Sam Harris in that episode, so you should consider that extra credit for our discussion today. Go listen to it. But one guy who made it really simple is Madan uh, Mehdi Hassan on Twitter. And I think he's a host on MS- MSNBC. Sam Harris does not like him. He pulled some Sam Harris shit on him. And Hassan, in exchange, compiled some juicy takes. So here they are. 2004. It is time that we admitted that we are not at war with terrorism. We are at war with Islam. 2004. Islam, more than any other religion be- human beings have devised, has all the makings of a thoroughgoing cult of death. 2004. The gravity of Jewish suffering over the ages, culminating in the Holocaust, makes it almost impossible to entertain any suggestion that Jews might have brought their, tru- uh, brought their troubles upon themselves. This is, however, in a rather narrow sense, the truth. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Uh, yeah, that's, that's from the end of faith. That's a take right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you thought about how you personally contributed to the Holocaust today, Aaron? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Your own fault. <laughs> 2006. If I could wave a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. <laughs> Yikes. 2006. I am one of the few people I know of who has argued in print that torture may be an ethical necessity in our war on tor- on terror. Holy! This was a blog post on his website called "In Defense of Torture." Oh my Can god! You, you type out that headline. <laughs> you let it sit on your laptop for a minute. 
You maybe go grab a cup of coffee. You come back, you read it again, and you're like, publish. <laughs> 2015. Given a choice between Noam Chomsky and Ben Carson, in terms of the totality of their understanding of what's happening now in the world, I'd vote for Ben Carson every time. He understands that jihadists are the enemy. Now, I, I will also note that he and he, he chose to try and debate Noam Chomsky, and uh, it's pretty entertaining. And Noam Chomsky is pretty problematic, but it's a fun exchange to read because uh, Harris effectively posted his L <laughs> in that debate. I don't love Noam Chomsky, but I will credit him as a person who knows things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, 2017. I think Black Lives Matter is a dangerous and divisive and retrograde movement, and it is a dishonest movement. I find very little to recommend in what I've seen from Black Lives Matter. 2017, the Milo, meaning Milo Yiannopoulos, I've seen is very far from being a neo-Nazi or someone whose attitudes are truly of the right. That's probably not an accident. He's flamboyantly gay and half Jewish, so I don't know how right wing he could be in the end. But if he's half Jewish, then he's half responsible for the Holocaust, which makes him half a Nazi. Just hair sure, science. I mean, just, you know, all Jews are Nazis. <laughs> Rachel flipped on the camera to show oh, just pure sadness. <laughs> I think we should cha- we should have like a subtitle that's just an infinite well of sorrow. Yeah, that's um, what we need to find. That's the only noise on our soundboard. We need to find the noise that represents that. <laughs> the sound of a dying whale. That's <laughs> that sound. So there's a lot more, uh, but you're probably getting a sense of a pattern here. Sam Harris does not like Islam, and it's not like he's mellowed in that stance. No, he seems to have held on to his guns, which makes sense. He's out there today yammering about how IQ is a great basis for policy because it's immutably tied to genetics and how you can totally profile people. Yeah, he loves the bell curve guy. He loves Charles Murray. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. But I'd like for us to focus for a moment on a meeting of the minds he had in 2015. His partner in this conversation was a guy named Majid Nawaz and was detailed in a great write-up in the Harvard Political Review where it was referred to as a contextual vacuum. The first paragraph (laughs) summarizes it well, so I'll start there. Quote, The dialogue between Harris and Nawaz, one which they claim is a groundbreaking effort to solve the issue of Islamic extremism, is in fact counterproductive because it ignores actual Muslim communities and their efforts on these fronts and fundamentally misunderstands the Islamic tradition and its relationships with reform. It also engages people who either have no formal training in what they're talking about or just have very little to do with the conversation, like Sam Harris himself, thus creating a space of illusory significance, which ultimately produces nothing of lasting value. What happened to straight white men where they're just like, I think I got Islam. I'm going to solve this one. I'm going to sit down with one dude. And solve Islam, whatever the (laughs) fuck that means. Robert Evans, I think, makes a good good joke point. These are people who have never been bullied. (laughs) They have never been told that they're wrong. That's true. I was thinking of, like, who is this man to be, like, talking (laughs) on these topics? Uh, And, like, what you just said is exactly right. 
Never they been told you're never wrong. Been, yeah. Never, they've never been, been told that they're not allowed to give their input on a specific topic. All of their thoughts and ideas are always valid. Like, yep. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should be like this because you shouldn't. But I have a thing where if someone gives me a compliment, I think that they're about to like attack me or something. <laughs> something bad is coming. Yeah, something <laughs> exactly bad. Exactly as it should be. <laughs> yeah. Sam Harris does not have that reflex. Dickie D does not have that reflex. This is why when I overthrow the federal government, my glorious non-legally actionable revolution that will never happen. <laughs> um, there will be one federal government body, which is a group of people who used to work for the CIA who now just hunt down people who say things like anything can be Sam changed. Harris just yeah. said. Yeah. Or are mean to their waitress and just punch them yeah. as hard as they can one time. Yep. And that's yeah. that's state violence. That's state violence <laughs> in my utopia. Just one mm-hmm. hard punch for people who like actively mock. See, this was what this is when a soundboard could come in handy because then we could have that meat punch. Sound effects that they use in Indiana Jones, but we don't have that, do we? (laughs) So you may not know who Nawaz is. Uh, I didn't before I started doing this script. Uh, He's a self-determined expert on de-radicalization in the UK because he was part of a sect of Islam uh, that was radical, but then he stopped being radical. During the course of the conversation, Harris and Nawaz seem to have come to the conclusion that nothing is being done within Islam to stop jihadi elements. The article says this. The idea that Harris and Nawaz present implicitly corroborated by uh, someone else with uh, her question about how to get people to actually talk about these ideologies, that these critical conversations have not been taking place, and that Muslims uh, must challenge head-on extremist voices instead of obfuscating and hiding our heads in the sand, holds no water. Instead, it ignores the tremendous effort that Muslim communities have put into their scholarship in recent years, scholarship that directly confronts Islamic extremism using scripture and tradition and refutes its compatibility with Islamic ideology. The irony in Harris and Nawaz arguing for a reform that abandons these structures in order to combat groups like ISIS is that it is the neglect of these jurisprudence jurisprudence structures that have produced groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS not their excessive adoption. So basically it's saying uh, the irony is that it's this lack of critical uh, conversation that has led to these groups and not that Islamic conversations have basically what you see in like Southern Baptist circles. There's no engagement with the text on a personal level. So you just go extreme. Um, The article makes a salient point and it should be born at the headwaters of our conversation. Like Judaism and a good chunk of Christianity vis-a-vis people bulls, I think, uh, Islam is a religion that comes to rely on discussion, disputation, jurisprudence, and eventually rulings when it comes to dealing with matters of faith. In Islam, these rulings are called fatwas. In Judaism, they're compiled in things like the Talmud. In Christianity, Pat Robertson delivers them on daytime TV. I joke. I think those are, are the, is that what a paper bull, paper bull is? I don't know what a paper bull is. I forget. I think that's like a medieval thing. I don't know if that still happens. What is that? Shark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rachel, shark. what is it? Yeah. I don't know. Either oh, one. I'll let him go first. All right. I, I got, I'm not a Catholic. All the Christians okay. I like are weird, muddy people from the south of England. <laughs> I thought a, a papal bull was just like a, a new 
yeah, rule. I don't know if rule is the right word, but like a new thing that the Pope introduces that now the church has to adopt. Oh, okay. That's also my understanding. Yeah. All right. It's not a sports team. <laughs> the Papal Bulls. Would now be the Vatican is yeah, producing their sports and sports team. <laughs> yeah. The Vatican on the field of Papal Bulls. Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> their mascot would be awesome. A giant minotaur in that Pope hat. <laughs> I think they could field a soccer team, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's enough people in Vatican City. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, the people, uh, the, the, the point that's worth ma- keeping in mind here is, in fact, that Islam has a long tradition, one that could, continues to this day of confronting itself in relation to the modern world. Uh, here's another bit from the article that goes into this. Perhaps if they are looking for these con- sorts of conversations, they could look to the 20 North American imams who issued a fatwa against terrorism in 2010 or the 18 American Muslim scholars who issued another, co-signed by over 130 Muslim organizations, against terrorism in 2005. Or maybe they want numbers in the thousands, like the 120 Muslim scholars who wrote a fatwa as an open letter to ISIS in 2014, which responds to each of ISIS's religious claims in detail, or the 165 religious Somali leaders who issued one condemning al-Shabaab. Is that still enough? They can have this fatwa issued by the British Muslim Forum on behalf of over 500 scholars in 2005. Or if they really want a big one, this 2008 fatwa endorsed by 6,000 Indian scholars that decrees all forms of terrorism is uh, all for that declares all forms of terrorism against the spirit of Islam. And lastly, in willfully ignoring scholars. Harris and Nawaz also ignored the work of progressive Muslim groups in making their faith a better space. To quote, uh, one notable notable example is the Malaysian group Sisters in Islam, which has used juristic juristic tradition to advance the rights of women and families in Malaysia. Similarly, groups such as Iman, uh, a self-described LGBTQI plus Muslim support group, are working within the legal tradition to fight for LGBTQI plus rights in Muslim communities. These people do not need a Sam Harris or Majid Nawaz to perform uh, to reform or secularize their religion for them. Instead, they need people like Hawaz and Nawaz, Harris and Nawaz, to understand the nuance inherent in the battles they're fighting. Yeah, and get out of their conversation and leave it to people who are actually in their... Highlight these people. You have the platform, Sam. Bring these people to the forefront. Like, you don't have to stay out entirely. You can use your your your, your privilege to make it clear that there are people doing this work. But no, that's not what he does. He he instead chooses to just espouse hatred. Also, Part- you know why there are fewer progressive Muslims than there used to be? Because the CIA hunted every one of them down! <laughs> There are still so many of them. If we can isolate killed by the government. If we can isolate that scream and put that on our soundboard, <laughs> yeah, I feel like great. that's <laughs> that's yeah. Part four. Cucked by the SJWs. Oh. <laughs> I hated myself. Sweet lullabies. <laughs> the goal. <laughs> and here I think is the perfect place to segue into what the new atheist movement has become. See, it did not stay chained to the internet, where people on Reddit found it and championed it as some new renaissance or some shit. No, it dovetailed 
with the alt-right movement and specifically the intellectual dark web to such a degree that you should look on it and despair. Wait, there's an intellectual dark web? It's Char, like how, about, a, how about you, J.K. Poor Rach? It's like a shorthand for a group of fucking ghouls who all exist together and like hang out. Have you seen the second of Tim Burton's Batmans? No, I didn't know he had one Batman. What? Yeah, yeah Michael Keaton. Batman. He has two Batmans, and they're the Tim most. Tim Burton did that. Yeah, yeah it's Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In the second one, there's the scene where Danny DeVito gets off in the sewer on this little penguin island. And there's like a (laughs) bunch of clowns and some other weird fucking people all hanging out with Danny DeVito. And then he bites a dude. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. For guys who think they're really smart. And I hate hate that paints a good picture. Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris. Charlie Kirk, other. if he were Charlie smart Kirk. enough to actually be a part of him and look yeah. less like a puppet brought to life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, the finest point of this convergence is what Sam Harris has said about friend of the pod, Benny Shaps. And he said <laughs> this... going to make me just shit my pants. I don't will. know what it is, but I'm already <laughs> upset. In 2019, he said this in a Playboy interview. Ben Shapiro is committed to the same rules of intellectual honesty and to the same principles of charity with regard to other people's positions. Ben, there are no civilian casualties, Shapiro. Ben, I'm going to go to a college and shout down students (laughs) while I have a microphone, Shapiro. Yep. Ben, being gay is against Judaism and religion isn't great, but I'm culturally Jewish, so being gay is bad, Shapiro. Look at my yarmulke, Shapiro. (laughs) Fucking asshole. As Sam's platform, uh, podcast has grown, so is his platform. And, you know, as we've kind of gone over, he's chosen to use that platform in some questionable methods. In an article in Slate titled Godless Grifters, How the New Atheists Merged with the Far Right, outlines a few of his stances, such as, quote, More recently, though, Harris has expended a prodigious amount of time and energy vigorously defending the scientific racism of Charles Murray. He believes that IQ uh, is a good measure of intelligence. He argued to Josh Zepps during a podcast interview, not only that black people are less intelligent than white people, but that this is because of genetic evolution. He has consistently given white nationalists a pass while arguing that Black Lives Matter is overly contentious and has stubbornly advocated profiling Muslims or anyone who looks like he or she could conceivably be a Muslim at airport. The point there's that I'm a, trying to There's make, a truly but, incredible conversation with him and a security expert. Yeah. Where Sam Harris is like, you should profile Muslims at airports. The security expert's like, what the fuck does that mean? And Sam yeah. Harris like can't explain <laughs> like even what like you would do to profile Muslim people at airports. Yeah, like, they they, they talk about that. Have you wanted a turban? I don't fucking know. He doesn't know anything about Islam. No, they they talk about that in the uh, I don't speak German episode about him, <laughs> and it's it's a good again that that episode's really good. Yeah, and the the highlight of it is Sam Harris is like the Israelis do this, and the security expert is like the Israelis do not do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It's just watching someone get called on their shit. But he doesn't change. No, absolutely not. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that like Jordan Balthazar Peterson or Benny Shaps 
or any number of other intellectual dark web adherents, Sam Harris has chosen to be backed into a corner by his bad ideas and bark that anyone who disagrees with him is a woke SJW crusading against free speech. And among the luminaries who stand with him are James Lindsay, who, quote, argued that anti-Semitism is caused by woke Jews, i.e. they're doing it to themselves. Uh, Lindsay spread COVID conspiracy theories and claimed in 2020 that people who should uh, people should vote for Donald Trump as he did because Joe Biden is a neo-Marxist or will succumb to the influence of scary neo-Marxists like Black Lives Matter. <clears throat> Lee Lindsay uh, may ring bells because he, along with another member of this horde, tried to play a gotcha on the field of gender studies by publishing a fake article in a uh, in a in a journal. It failed, broadly speaking, and he and his co-author, fellow redactor, Portland Bogassian, were called out. Bogassian was slapped on the wrist by redacted State University and later called for the defunding of the university, alleging that the university was abandoning its intellectual rigor ale- uh, yeah, and kowtowing to the woke SJW crowd. He later resigned. Basically, he's trying to pull a Jordan Peterson. Harris, uh, well, now Lindsay, sorry is uh, also a fan, buddy, what have you, of Stefan Molyneux. Actual monster from the ether. Yeah, and, you know, do you do you want to go into to, to Molyneux at all? Uh, Stefan Molyneux is like an actual white supremacist who makes the worst produced YouTube videos in the whole world. <laughs> the production quality is pure dog shit. It's worse to watch his videos than leftist YouTuber Sean whose whole video screen is just a picture of a skull and sunglasses. Like somehow Stefan Molyneux is worse than just one still image of a skull and sunglasses. It's just this like bald, pasty, white, naked mole rat of a dude who's just like fucking yells at the camera with the Durant and like has that sort of like, he doesn't yell at the camera. He proverbially proverbially yells at the camera with that like soft NPR yeah. tone. Which is kind of the same as Sam Harris. Fucking terrible. They all do the same. Well, not all of them, but yeah. like Sam Harris has the same delivery style. Yeah, they're all taking notes. From I'm not going to go into Molyneux because my God. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Um, we only have a couple more things to go here, so, so bear with me. Uh, the New Atheist Movement in its current form, has also attracted Milo Yiannopoulos, who is basically 4chan made flesh, blood, and hair dye. Milo's gone to bat for some pretty shitty takes in his short career as a human being with thoughts, but chief among them has been, like Harris, a shared hatred of Muslims. Most recently, he's been an intern with Marjorie Taylor Greene and seems to be raising money for gay conversion therapy centers in Florida. Yes, he is. Of course, in Florida. One of Milo's biggest champions has been Dave Rubin, just a real champion of humanity. Could be a lot written about Dave Rubin, but I have neither the time nor inclination to do so. I will just say that it appears that following a life dedicated to propping up hate, Rubin is uh, seemingly shocked, shocked that his audience finds it repulsive that he and his partner are having a kid via a surrogate mother. Why? Because uh, his audience does not like that gay people have a child. So what is all of this? What should we take away from this? Well, aside from the obviously snarky bits, it's that the new atheist movement became a bastion of not rigorous debate, but of intellectual laziness and stubbornly held on views. 
Dickie D, Sam Harris, and Hitchens, they argued from a mindset that they were absolutely right and could not be convinced otherwise. Despite the millennia of atheist thought and religions outside the West, despite even atheist uh, thought being a part of some religions, the new atheist movement made it their brand that all religions were one step away from setting your house on fire in the name of God. As their... As their spotlight shrunk, some of them turned toward a more profitable endeavor, courting regressive demographics by jumping on the anti-woke bandwagon and posing as radical centrists. God. Harris and radical. people... Yeah, that's, Sorry, a, that's a thing that Harris <laughs> likes to say, is that he's a radical centrist. Like, Matthew what does that Ma- even mean? I don't know. <laughs> Ma- Matthew McConaughey also said that when he was flirting with running for governor of Texas. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> well, Matthew McConaughey said it's so hot, though. He, yeah, he did. <laughs> I was kind of into it when he said it. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, I mean, you can I, say I, a lot of things that people would think are hot. So yeah, I get that. I, I was like, I, shit, that sounded cool. Give me some of I, that radical centrism, Matthew. I Come thought it down. was fu- so funny that I brought it into your Dune campaign for one session. <laughs> uh, Harrison people like him. You know, they like to claim that they are classical liberals as well. And, Which also know, that, doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, and it may not even be incorrect. Classical liberals came from a time when, uh, indeed, certain people were seen as inherently inferior. Women were not even second-class citizens. They were not citizens. <laughs> and by God, intellectual discourse was created and owned by people from a certain social class. That's my they... favorite fucking thing in the world, is these like yeah. classical liberals who are like, everything was so good during the Renaissance when people debated civilly. <laughs> and it's like smash cut to the French Revolution where like Maximilian <laughs> Robespierre is like cutting off every one of his friends' heads one by one. <laughs> they were like, I don't like your shoe buckles today. And he was like, well, you're fucking dead, bro. Yeah, but counterpoint, what about Les Mis? <laughs> yeah, what about Les Mis? <laughs> what about Les Mis? Like, Holy fuck. There's never been civil discourse. It's not a no. thing. Just shut the fuck up. It's it's a thing in like some college courses. Yeah. <laughs> it's and debate clubs. That's basically a thing. Is like the debate bros all were in high school debate clubs and and think that's very fun. And there's a fun bit and I think it's in the God Delusion thinking about it where like Dawkins writes about this time where he was invited to a school to debate and uh, he found that the, the counter argument, the, the one for religion, was very uh, well spoken and met the, the, the girl who was giving that side of the argument, who then said, oh, yeah, no, I'm actually an atheist. I agree with you. And he goes, but why would you argue for religion then? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So uh, that's I'm... the end of the script. What do you guys, what, what's your takeaway here? <laughs> I just... That people with privilege and platforms just get to spew whatever think, whatever they think, and refuse to acknowledge <laughs> like any other train of like any other school of thought, and just to think it's just <laughs> yeah, two face rubs in five seconds. I feel like that's a, that's a good sign of work. Yeah, oh. I, I, uh, I can't put I, it into words. Barry's but... about to puke. Oh, oh no! <laughs> you guys, you Barry. guys. Yeah, I'll be be back in a second. <laughs> 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 oh, poor dog! <laughs> my my dog Luna refuses to go to the bathroom in the rain. Oh, and it does has, she ever? 
she has a jacket and everything, but it has rained all day today. So she's just sitting by the door and you can see how bad she needs to go. Wait, you mean you don't go outside and hold an umbrella over her? When I lived in Portland, I had to. Oh. I had to go outside in a raincoat with her and like (laughs) shield her from the rain. And it still took like 20 minutes and she's a 90 pound pit bull. So I had to like carry her out there. Oh my God. I mean, my dog doesn't go to the bathroom in the backyard. We have to go on walks. Really? So, yeah. What yeah. kind of dog do you have? Uh, she's a little mutt. Um, she looks like oh. uh, the dog from like Win Dixie or Benji, you oh, know, so like cute. lighter, fluffy, uh, wiry hair, but like darker ears and nose and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a sweetie. We're dog sitting our friend's dog right now, who is a German Shepherd Poodle Sharpe mix. That's a weird And he's like 90 pounds. Dang. He's huge. He's a cute little doofus, but he's huge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. They're good like, friends. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of hair that we have in our house right now is unmatched. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's my, so bad. My dog has like super short hair, and I know people who have like two big dogs with like big hair, with like long hair, and it's like you can't do it. No, no, it's awful. But does the pit bull hair get stuck in like your couch fabric and stuff? Does it like get stuck places? Or it no? does, but no, but it's not like long, so you can just kind of like brush it off once it gets on your clothes. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, love them, but it's awful. Yeah, having those like huge dogs too. Like I'm, I can't admit I'm double my dog's weight. And my wife is only half as much of our dog's weight. And I, like, don't know how she does it. (laughs) It always impresses the shit out of me that she has, like, just as good control of, like, a dog (laughs) that's almost her body weight as I do. There's a lot of, like, mental control (laughs) happening. (laughs) Because, yeah, we were walking, his name is Bruce, yesterday. And we saw, like, other dogs on leashes. And he gets very reactive. And it's like, we can only control his head. That's the only thing that we can control. Everything else is like way too strong. Yeah, he's a, he's a beast. Someone entered the waiting room. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Give us the Barry update. Uh, he, uh, he's being obstinate and will not go back to the apartment. So I figured I'd just call. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Aaron held funny. hostage by a dog. <laughs> yep, this is my life. <laughs> and uh, I also forgot poop bags, so I just hope he doesn't have to poop. Mm. <laughs> you know what? If you just have to leave it, you just come back tomorrow and pick it up. <laughs> yep. Anyway, uh, I forget where we left off. Um, we were talking about just general impressions of all this. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. What's your thoughts? <laughs> I feel like you're really undercutting your credibility here being trapped by a 20 pound dog. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, he's 30 pounds because he's overweight. Because uh, <laughs> he's so, so vigorously feasts on the flesh of his enemies. Yeah, you know, that and uh, strange bread that is left on the side of the road. 
street bread. <laughs> People keep leaving like pastries on the sidewalk too. So he just <laughs> and he's very quick when he wants to be, you know. Yeah. Oh. I don't know what Sam Harris would have to say about this. Probably that your dog is in some way a, a decadent Islamist who should be purged. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, these people fucking suck. They do. And they ruin They really do. My dad's opinions about religion in like any conceivable oh, no. way. My dad's a big Richard Dawkins guy. Oh boy, he got he got sucked into Dickie D's land, huh? He did. He got dickied. <laughs> yeah, Dickie deed. Ugh. Yeah. To the point where he where I was talking about where last time I saw him, I was talking about how horrible Sam Harris is. And he was like, Well, you know, he's not wrong about Islam. And I was like, Well, you know he is. <laughs> yeah, I I think like one of the things that always sticks out to me about these this strain of thought is I don't I, I feel like especially in here in redacted, uh the the people who are vehemently against anything approaching an orthodox uh take on a religion are also the people who go to bat for like oh i'm just spiritual but not religious and just like take random bits of different things be it you know buddhism or judaism or whatever and cobble it together into something that demands nothing of them yes but makes them feel smart and fulfilled one of my favorite college professors said that like the action of religious thought is perceived by people who aren't a part of it as an action of like comfort and accept acceptance, like just mind mm-hmm. mindlessly saying yes to something. But he said the, yeah. he was a very Jewish guy and he said and the, the most Jewish thing anyone's ever said. He says that the actual action of religious thought is finding ways to approach the universe that make you the most uncomfortable and then interrogating those. Yep. <laughs> Which I think is a great take yep. and what religion should yeah. be, whether that's like meditation or prayer or whatever, like find something that you yep. really don't like and like try to sort it out for yourself, man. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like, you know, if, if, if we lived in a world where Sam Harris had the capacity to do that to his own worldview then he would arrive at that conclusion yeah yeah but he doesn't no because and it's like fundamentally like expresses his misunderstanding of religion like innately in his critique is like he can't critique his own worldview in a way that matters which is like the actual action of religious (laughs) communities (laughs) yeah yeah and like it's also a thing of like he just reacts violently well not you know he doesn't attack anyone but like he gets very defensive whenever he's questioned on it and you see it with one of the worst things i've ever listened to in my life which was a debate between him and ezra klein uh that was it was don't listen to it but he did he did that because like klein was challenging him about the uh the charles murray stuff and uh, yeah harris just threw word salad at him the way that all these intellectual dark web guys do Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh yeah. Learns nothing, refuses to learn things, refuses to change. Yep. And it's terrible. 
Exactly. Well, then they lose their base. So yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Got to keep the money <laughs> rolling. <What's> in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, there was a UPS truck that just drove by when you were saying something, Rachel. I said then they lose their base. Ah, yes. All right, where do you want to go? You're just standing. It's hot. Keeping Not back this, to the apartment. Keeping this on the pod. Sure. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, this is great listening is uh, me trying to negotiate a consensus with my dog. Aaron, uh, Aaron dog parents by consensus. <laughs> <laughs> this yep. is why Barry um, is 30 pounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he for a while. He's a healthy boy. <laughs> Barry's like, I'll eat this whole street Danish. And Aaron's like, no, you won't. And they decide half a street Danish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's accurate. As I'm eating street blackberries. So, you know, it's just us. This is what we do. <laughs> Barry's like, I mean, you eat street stuff. Why can't I eat street stuff? <laughs> I'm learning from you. Ooh. The other thing I fucking hate about these people that I don't think is talked about enough is something I can only really refer to as like enlightenment fetishism, which yeah. is like people who know fucking nothing about the Renaissance, except that it's generally considered a scientific time talking about the Renaissance, yeah. which like any yep. historian or anyone who's, I don't know, read a book would be like... <laughs> Oh, the Renaissance wasn't like a time of incredible scientific advancement that was like perfectly linear in line with like moral well-being. No. Like it wasn't. It was a time that propagated violence on a global scale in a way that's like almost impossible to contextualize. Yep. And like these people I, I think another like, Yeah. Uh, and like an offshoot of that is is the um idealization of specifically like thomas jefferson yeah <laughs> as you know these great thinkers of governance and da, 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 da. yeah and you have yeah. to like have an they have an almost religious fascination with these people yeah in a way that like i know it's like a lame critique to say that they have become religious in their atheism but like i genuinely do think they view people as prophets in a, at yeah. least in like the jewish sense of prophet maybe yeah. not in like the christian one with like jesus or the islamic one where you like actually talk to god but like yeah yeah people who espouse a nearly unquestionable wisdom yeah then it's yeah. like mm. and these guys were bad. You know, and I, I, I think, you know, I had this conversation with a friend of mine um, about get, who keeps getting, uh, unfortunately, pulled into uh, Twitter discourse. Yeah. And we were talking about Twitter discourse. And I, I made this thing. I was like, everyone does this to some extent. And, like, I feel like the leftist version of this is people who get really, uh, really up in arms about political theory especially marx yes marx guys yes marx guys lenin guys yeah. guys yeah. yeah pretty much if all of your knowledge and wisdom for how to live now is contained in a book that was written a hundred years ago you're a weirdo who needs to stop <laughs> yeah you <laughs> like, should broaden it out a bit that's just conservatism with extra weird steps yeah yeah you're not wrong. It doesn't matter if it's 1850, 1250, or 1776. It's like, don't think 
dudes from the past knew everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. Um, my other favorite Sam Harris fact is one time he was asked what he reads, and he said Conrad, Nabokov, and Kafka, which is someone <laughs> feverishly clutching for books they've heard people like. <laughs> Those isn't are no one's three to, uh, favorite authors. No. Now, isn't that similar to what like happened with Ben Shapiro, where someone asked him to list his top ten books, and he just basically cribbed the list from the internet? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what people read. Yeah, it will make me sound the fanciest. Yeah, every fucking time. You can just Mm -hmm. like stuff that doesn't have to be a flex. Fucking weirdos. I hate these people. (laughs) I feel like that's that's the takeaway. Rachel, what do you have to add? Yeah, no, I, I have nothing to add. I have no hot takes. (laughs) Just they should not be given a platform. Always. Yeah. As it always yeah, that, is that. after one of our conversations, you just feel crushed and weighed down. <laughs> yeah, it makes me realize I know very little about these things and I'm mostly happy that I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I don't know. It just it, uh, it yeah, I always leave <laughs> rubbing my face and furrowing my brow and just wondering about humanity, so <laughs> Good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> Except you do it willingly to yourself with no one else asking you. Well, I appreciate you, yeah, <laughs> imparting all of this knowledge on me. So <laughs> you should hold it against us, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, then. Come on. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's a good place to end it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, attack and dethrone God. 